Hello, and thanks for joining us at Riff Raff News. Before we plunge in at the deep end, just a brief introduction. I'm Guy. And I'm Sean. And Riff Raff News is just us. Commonal Garden Joes musing on the week's main stories. No producers, no celebrities, and definitely no sales. Just chat and some laughs. Please give us your thoughts at riffraffnews at gmail.com. And without further ado, time to dive in. Enjoy. Hello, Guy. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, Sean. And how are you today? Yeah, I'm very good, thanks. Um, yeah, sun's out. The first out of the absolute deluge, isn't it, for the last couple of weeks? Uh, yeah. I was waiting for the old ark to float past, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's been a, it's been a bit nicer today. I've actually had the opportunity to go out. I went and had a cappuccino, which was very pleasant and uh, very nice. You know. So, um, what's uh, in our wonderful news agenda? What's caught your eye over the last week? Well, um, quite a few things, really. I think the three things I'd like to talk about is one is PMQs. Mm. Because I'm getting a bit brassed off with the fact that we don't really learn anything about that. And I know you feel the same. So we Mm. should talk about that. I think it's worth thinking about where we are with the energy crisis because there's been a lot of development on different fronts in the last week. It's worth sort of recapping on that. And then something close to our hearts is this move to get the over 50s. Uh, Sean, yes, the over fifties back into the workplace. <laughs> yes, no and stop idling, doing things like podcasts and stuff like that. So we should talk about that. How, how, yeah, yeah, I think that they, they, they call them the economically inactive, don't they? I believe. <laughs> is, is that right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've been called worse. <laughs> yes, indeed. So. Um, so we're going to have a look at PMQs. Yeah, first, you have. You go with yeah. PMQs. Yeah, yeah go, I go think um, I, I've done a little bit of research into PMQs, a little bit of research into its history before we discuss what. Oh, okay. Um, okay. What we were and, and and from what I can see, uh, way way back before 1961, uh, right. the prime ministers of the day used to take questions occasionally at the end of the day's business. If they were in the house, it wasn't a set designated time or anything along those lines. And in oh. fact, for both Churchill and Macmillan, they used to set any questions that they were at the end of the day because apparently that was um, gave them an opportunity to sleep in in the morning. Apparently, Churchill was an elderly guy, obviously at the time when he was um, on his second term, and so was Macmillan. But then in 1961. They actually set a dedicated slot for PM questions. Mm-hmm. That's when it all kicked off. Um, and even at that point, they didn't um, have... Uh, they had to ask an, an initial question first, because right. that had to be... Uh, supposedly, that had to be in writing, the initial question. And okay. then a follow-on question from there... So it got to the point where prime ministers could prepare for those initial questions. Um, and so uh, the in- the initial questions were of a nonsense nature. And then the secondary question, the follow-on question, was the one where they couldn't prepare for. And that that's where... And only, it was only in 1979 when Mrs T took over that mm. she got rid of that. She said, "I'm you know, I'm happy to take the questions straight off. I don't need the initial questions. So they got rid of those. 
um, and and she took all comers' questions. Prior to that as well, apparently, the Prime Ministers regularly used to say, I'll defer to the Minister for so-and-so who will answer that question and I'll defer to the Minister and wouldn't take the questions. From Thatcher taking um, Prime Minister's questions, she used to answer across across the piece, if you like, questions from any department um, directly, which is quite... In that respect, when I was looking at this and researching it, I thought it was quite good because it meant that the Prime Minister had to have a general knowledge yeah. across government rather than just passing responsibility off to ministers. The The disadvantage for a Prime Minister, of course, is that they they do have to have that. They have to have that knowledge in, in fear of what might come up in Prime Minister's question. Yeah, I guess it's a matter of really trying to work out what could possibly come up. And you see them not so much reading but they've got lots of notes haven't mm. they in front of them and I think um, ministers also do a lot of whispering and side chat feeding them stuff during PMQs don't they absolutely and, and I mean Campbell you know Alistair Campbell who was um, who mm. was uh, the press secretary for, Blair, yeah. for Tony Blair a um, lot of um, information with regard to the preparation that they used to have to do apparently Blair hated Prime Minister's questions. He got rid of the. It used to be on Tuesdays and Thursdays. It was split yeah. at three o'clock, and it used to be three questions on Tuesday and three questions on Thursday. Okay. He brought them all together to the twelve o'clock on Wednesday with the whole six questions, apparently. But he, yeah, didn't like it at all. He used to get very nervous about it, and and that was, according to Campbell, it was his uh, biggest fear whilst he was in government. But as time has rolled on, and I think this is where we were yeah. discussing this and brought it up a, a, as a topic, it's just got to be a ridiculous circus, hasn't it, everywhere? Yeah, pointless. Hmm. I, I, I'm struggling. Having, I don't watch it that often, but I managed to catch about half of it on Wednesday. And and one, one of the, the um, particularly leader opposition will ask one of his six questions. Hmm. And there's no answer. Uh, mm. And it's just a completely different point or harping back to who who runs the Labour Party or um, Corbyn or something. And it's just, well, I've learned absolutely zero here. Yeah. Zero. And um, it is somewhat maybe naive, but I'd love to have a reset after the next election if whoever wins says, look, we are actually going to answer these questions. Mm. We really are. Uh, and, yeah. and I think that would be so refreshing. Um, it, naive, yeah. maybe, but but I th- then it would be worth watching. But I, don't, I just don't see the point in watching anymore. No, I agree with you. It's just a total punch and Judy show, isn't it, at the moment? And you, and and you clearly see the leader of the opposition is presenting the facts and figures and statistics that back their argument, and then the government are presenting the self same facts from 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 there and you don't get the truth from either party you only it's all cheap point scoring and and it you just want to be a little bit more educated in respect of what you're looking at don't you want mm. i mean you, and and then you get on to the point where you're uh, you excuse the expression the the especially on the government benches you get on to the brown nosing questions i can't think mm. of any other words oh god yeah you know, yeah 
Would the right honourable gentleman agree with me that uh, since we've opened the tea shops in Victoria Park in Plumpton under Lyme, the state of the economy has increased immensely? And would he give me a commitment that he'll come and visit the tea shops in the next parliamentary year? And then the Prime Minister gets up and... and, um, Yes, and I'd like to say uh, fair play to the Right Honourable Member for Fiddlington under Lyme. He's been a great supporter of the tea shop and I would most generously like to come and visit him when my dates will allow. And he sits down and we get the same yet. And on the other side, the questions are, the Prime Minister's a scumbag and when's he going to sort the NHS out? (laughs) Yeah, chalk it. Chalk and cheese. Yes. Yeah, very good impression, Sean. <laughs> I'd like to ask you who that was, but perhaps on another day. It, it does need to be looked at because it's completely pointless. I think there's a protocol to it, isn't there, though, where one there has to be a question from one bench and then the other. It has to go in relays, doesn't it? Or at least that's convention. Yeah. So suppose the reality is it must be very difficult for a Tory MP to go, why is the NHS in such a state, Prime Minister? Well, uh, well, it was interesting to see uh, uh, Mr Hancock asking a question, wasn't it, at oh, this, yeah. last, uh, uh, this last PMQs? Um, uh, he was asking about, uh, effectively, about Mr Bridgen, wasn't he, in his... Um, um, quite bizarre statement regarding comparisons between vaccines and uh, uh, and the Holocaust, which um, was, yeah. a, was a strange thing to say. Yeah, that was but, very uh, weird. Yeah, I yeah, have yeah. Uh, looking to the future of um, of Prime Minister's question. So, as you quite really say, I have some ideas, and and, uh, uh, oh, and I, I I wonder whether it might be an idea if we if they employed questions direct from the public um so that the 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 public could send their questions in and maybe the speaker could um could determine which questions are asked to the prime minister um in conjunction with the leader of the opposition maybe and maybe they could direct questions to the leader of the opposition as well so that we you get a a balanced approach as to what either side of the house would do in certain circumstances um and and also to take the because there's the other thing about the i mean i i joke about the um backbench conservative mps but the other thing that that you get quite regularly is um backbench mps wanting to display to their constituents that they're taking action on their behalf don't you this is what it's all about to be able yeah, to show that's true so maybe we ought to have a a secondary question time, like a national question time for national issues and a secondary local question time where they can Mm. ask uh, local issues and maybe that could be chaired by the Deputy Prime Minister or or somebody along those lines so that they can be seen. I mean, if you... I don't know how many people want to tune in to listen to all the local issues, but maybe that's a a way of of dealing with it. Because when I... When I watch Question Time, which is increasingly rarely now, um, I want to hear about national issues. I'm not really interested in what's happening in, you know, in in, in Hull or what's happening in in Hmm. Strathclyde or what have you. I know that's important to those people who live in those areas, but that's not the vehicle for it. So maybe they could do that. What do you think of that? I think it's definitely worth a go because... (laughs) What's happening at the moment isn't working. I'd, I'd, 
at its most simplest, I'd be happy if the Speaker insisted that the Prime Minister gives a substantive answer to mm. the question, yeah? And that maybe we should learn from Britain's Got Talent <laughs> and he should have those, the ability to eject the Prime Minister. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> isn't it three X? I haven't watched three it for X's. so long. Yeah. Three X's. <laughs> Give him, you know, if he, if he doesn't answer the question, he gets one X. And if he doesn't answer the next one, he gets another one. If he doesn't answer the third one, he's off. <laughs> so we can have, so we can have the, 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 I quite like the sound effects from Family Fortunes. Maybe we can... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so I mean, I think all valid, all change is good. Um, but I think if you started with the, with the sort of principle that it's not working mm. and democracy isn't playing out in the place where it should play out and you change it, I think that, 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 that would be great. And we could take your ideas uh, and more importantly, mine, uh, and put it in the balance. Yeah, I th um, so moving on, I think you've been having a look at Energy Guy, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, I have. Obviously, it's been the topic of 2022, amongst others. And I was just staggered uh, when looking at this, the wholesale price of energy, particularly gas, that right now, the price of gas, which is priced per therm on the wholesale markets, hmm. is lower than when uh, Putin invaded Ukraine. Crikey. And it's a reminder, actually, that we already had an energy crisis before the war. Um, mm. But obviously, politically, it makes sense to call this Putin's energy crisis. But there already was one as the world came out of COVID. Yeah. Um, and without getting too sort of into the detail, although you have to a little bit, right now, gas is priced at 170 pence per therm on the wholesale markets. That has come down from 340 pence on the 1st of December. Mm. So not, not long, only no, a few no. weeks. And a staggering 640 pence in August. Crikey. So, you know, the, this is, the whole thing's changed. And you say, well, what's driven that? And it's a combination of Europe getting their act together in replacing um, sort of Russian gas mm. without this LPG you've probably been hearing about. Yeah. Their stores being still quite full and a freakishly warm winter. Yeah. It's kind of gone down well in Moscow, can it, in terms of what they wanted for Western no, Europe? No, not at all. Not at all. But, but, but the stars have aligned, rather, in, in favour of reducing uh, these costs they're still very high historically so those prices are still pretty much double what they would have been in a so-called mm. ordinary year but but what does all this mean um it is it is quite interesting because you may remember that um the last intervention for domestic energy was that we are all right now protected uh, so that the average uh, household shouldn't pay more than £2,500 mm. uh, across a year. Uh, that's not a cap, remember? Uh, this is that's an average. The, the yeah. energy price guarantee, isn't it? This, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. Um, 
And that was supposed to, after April, go up to £3,000. Um, but what the guys who sort of measure these things are saying, well, actually, that uh, it won't reach £3,000 because at these prices I've just mentioned, mm. it would only be around the £2,500 mark. So yeah. uh, now, obviously, because it's a market, that can change. Yeah. That can change if, if I don't know, if we had two months of freezing, freezing cold weather, I mm. guess stores would empty. Um, I think the other thing that they were suggesting, yeah, wasn't it? Is uh, forgive me. I think the other thing they were suggesting was that if China opens up and there's a demand on the on the world markets for more gas yeah. in terms of their production, then that could raise demand and the price as well. So. Yeah, I think I, I, well, I think it is opening up, isn't it? And I think we're going to see that particularly in um, crude oil. Mm. Uh, we're we're at it doesn't feel like record lows, but re over recent times we're at record lows on oil pricing. Uh, whereas you know, once China get up and running, I think that's going to go up. But if we if we stay with domestic energy, the other interesting thing is that because. The wholesale price is reducing. What's in the current budget uh, for the Treasury, OBR, the government at those prices I just mentioned will be saving round about £10 billion, £10 billion, pounds, which is a lot, isn't it? It gives them a lot of flexibility in theory for other expenditure, doesn't it? Well, it, it, one thing I was thinking is, I'm not sure if you remember, but Hunt was going on about having this sort of treasury-led review to make the energy intervention more targeted. Mm. But nothing more has come of that. And I just wonder if they'll walk away from that because that targeting will be very complicated. It's very, it's very difficult to say a wealthy person mm. shouldn't get as much as uh, uh, somebody who isn't wealthy. And how do you... Because who knows how much... The energy companies don't know how much people yeah. are earning. Yeah. So I'm just wondering if they'll just walk away from that because the cost of the exchequer of the price guarantee, instead of it being $12 billion, would be only 2 yeah. And frankly, if it's $2 billion, it's not worth messing about trying to make it more targeted, if that makes no, sense. No, and it's politically... And better for the government if they seem to be helping everybody than just helping a smaller, a smaller yeah. portion. It also gives them I mean, the money saving. Far be it from me to be a cynic, but it gives them a bit more flexibility in negotiations on public sector pay if they can look forward at that sort of saving that they weren't expecting as well, uh, doesn't it? Absolutely, it makes one or two percent difference on uh, inflation. I think yeah. they were they were looking at the the if they met all not that I'm suggesting they would but if they were to meet all of the um, uh, public sector claims in terms of pay increases for the coming year that would amount to about three billion three three and a half billion which is the figure that Labour have been talking about being able to rustle up from scrapping non-dom non status. Non-doms, yeah. That's so assume they all stay <laughs> and don't become no-doms. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, <laughs> so well, it's really interesting, isn't it? That they, I, I mean, I, I was some of the things that I was looking at feed, feeding into this were the the cap, because as you quite rightly say, albeit that the price is, is collapsing in comparison to when it mm. reached the heights. Um, uh, this time last year, I guess they're 
quarter for the the cap, which we haven't mentioned yet in terms of the government setting a you know cap on average expenditure in in quarter four of uh, 2020, it was a thousand and forty two pounds. Yeah. Um, and then by quarter four of 2022, it had gone up to three thousand. Yeah. 549 so even if you're talking at um at two and a half thousand pounds for this price guarantee that's still a lot more than than, yeah. than the thousand yeah. pounds we were looking at you know which is why everyone's sort of running around turning down the stats yeah and um you know having the heating either off or on later it's yeah people we're in the middle of that aren't we we're all paying that now yeah absolutely yeah yeah so that was the domestic side. I think the the other thing that came out beginning of the week, which never gets a lot of pickup because I suppose um, there's not so many SMEs in the country as there are households. But mm. um, the the support for SMEs well, and, and large businesses is is being markedly reduced. And again, it's difficult to get into this without looking at some specifics. But since the 1st of October, all businesses have had support, but that was only ever guaranteed up to the 31st of March 23. And there were huge, basically it was huge levels of support where um, the government supported the wholesale price for everyone. Um, But in recent announcement, that support is likely to be reduced by a factor of 85%. Crikey. Yeah, yeah. so, you know, by anyone's money, even if you don't know what the figures are, if you're running, if you're running a small business, that's mm. going to be a little bit scary, isn't it? Um, Just a wee bit, isn't it? If you if you're heavy on on um, energy, I mean, most businesses are to to any great degree, but the, the areas and and um, uh, particular businesses we've been looking at in the past in hospitality mm. and uh, uh, and and in terms of keeping your customers warm and cooking them food and yeah cook you know hot drinks and what have you that's going to make a hell of a difference isn't it it, it is and and yeah, just a little bit of detail um, the proposal is that from april discounts will be just 0.7 percent per kilo, kilowatt hour for gas and two pence per kilowatt hour for electricity and that only on 70 percent of the usage well anyone who's got a gas or electric bill has looked at the price per kilowatt hour mm. will realize that's that minuscule so pretty much the whole bill will now be met by the the small businesses why the federation of small businesses quite rightly are saying this is going to be carnage mm. in, in it, it's i guess some some businesses make a lot of money or some businesses can pass it on to consumers but for those who are right on the margins mm. as you say you know a, a restaurant a pub uh, places that, that have mm. to consume a lot of energy um they're being battered it, from both sides yeah, aren't yeah. they because you yeah. can't, as, you, uh, as you quite rightly said you can't pass it on to your consumers because they haven't got they're, no. they're, you know, they're they're going through tightened straits themselves, and and they're being hit at the other end. It just, um, yeah, I wouldn't want to be running a small business in those circumstances at the moment. So the only thing I think which will inverted commas save these businesses is what what I started off talking about was that if the wholesale price 
holds to its current level mm. or reduces even further, which I guess could happen and probably would over the summer months, hopefully the impact on SMEs will be far, far lower, which is probably what uh, the Treasury have been hoping for anyway. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's that's what I've picked up on the energy. So the summary would really be good news, and it's important that we flag this, wholesale costs are reducing. Good news, it'll mean uh, a less of a rise, it's still a rise, but a less of a rise for consumers, um, but still a risk to businesses. I think that would be my summary. Yeah, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's... Um Interesting, isn't it? The, uh, one of the other things that I heard was that if prices continue in the same direction that they're going at the, at the moment, that they reckon that it would only they'd only return to what they're calling normal by twenty twenty six. I can believe it. Um, so there's a yeah. there's a long way to go. Yeah, you're quite right in what you're saying for businesses. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Definitely. So I guess the other thing, which is <laughs> just occurred to me. There's always the the bag of sand yin and yang of consequence, isn't there? Is of course, if these prices lower, and the energy producers are making less of a margin, it's going to reduce the um, windfall tax. Mm. So uh, I guess I'll have to Treasury will have to shave that off the yeah. budget somewhere as well. Yes, I guess. Yeah. Better of the two evils, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But. Uh, so, you know, that's it, really. Um, and our listeners will be in the middle of all this somewhere. Um, but I still think it's another year or two or three, given what you just said, of um, watching those bills. So, Sean, there's a bit of a clamour going on for um, the over 50s who've left the labour market for one reason or another. And there's not just one reason to return to work and I know you've been looking at that yeah yeah these are these are what they um, euphemistically call the economically inactive and it and it basically um, is those who've chosen not to work who are under the state retirement age right uh, in this case over 50s um, and also in a different category those assessed as being long-term sick by the Department of Work and Pensions on their work capability assessments mm -hmm. and claiming relating benefits. Um, I mean, if we look at them in two separate separate yeah, categories, they're, they're very different, aren't they? Mm, they yeah. are. Yeah. Um, the over fifties. You might be interested to know that an extra four hundred ninety three thousand over fifties um, have left the labour market since the beginning of the pandemic. Which is you know, half a million. That's that's quite a significant number of um, workers, isn't it? That uh, yeah, it's it's a, well, it's just think of how many people yeah. that is. That's, that's massive. Yeah, forty-seven percent of those are people who've who've retired, because obviously okay. if you can be over fifty but under the state retirement age, so yeah. I mean, like like you and I effectively. Yes. And 28% of, of those people are under 60. Okay. So I think they're the sort of age group that they're specifically looking at. Um, I just wonder, when I was looking at this, why why people would have chosen to, to um, 
leave the labour market before they reach retirement age. What, what do you think on that? Well, I think, <laughs> I guess the, the, the smart thing to do, uh, I'm not dodging the question, but the smart thing to do would be to run a few focus groups on this. But let, let's say we, we're, we're not going to do that. <laughs> so let, let's make some assumptions. First of all, pensions freedoms, uh, the legislation which was brought in a few years ago, does mm. allow you to access your pension at 55. Mm. So I think there's a lot of this would have happened anyway. Mm. So we do need to try and disaggregate those people who've done this because of the pandemic and those people who've done this because they would have done it anyway. Yeah. So statistically, it's always you've got to look underneath it all. So I think pensions, freedoms. And then I guess a number of people would have worked out during the pandemic that actually not working is, 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 is quite a nice thing. And if they've, they've been able to support themselves financially and not be a drain on mm. the exchequer, um, then, um, yeah, why not? That's why a, not to give up work? Yeah, it's a lifestyle choice, really, isn't it? They, they've they've realised during the pandemic that they perhaps can survive on far less than they, uh, they, they were concerned about and maybe taken a cut in their their um, living standards during the pandemic and have decided that hasn't fundamentally affected their life in a negative way as much as they thought it would do. Yeah, possibly. And and I guess, I don't know the stats, but a number of these people will have obviously private pensions, whether they're uh, final salary or not. A number of them Mm. might have had investments. A number of them might have had buy-to-lets. So... Uh, I guess the only difference is these decisions may have been made when inflation was ticking along at 2%. Yeah. And therefore, naturally, a good chunk of that 480,000, whatever the number was, will be thinking, crikey, this is, this is not as good as I thought it was mm. going to be. Which but, le- uh, leads yeah. us quite neatly, in, actually, into the incentive that the, the Treasury, it is, yes. have decided that they may well implement to try and encourage okay. some of these people back to work. I mean, what you're saying effectively is that that, that might happen naturally anyway. It might be that the, the economy's changed such that these people feel that their figures don't add up anymore and that, that they need to return to work. But the Treasury are looking at um, up to one year's tax-free, tax-free earnings for those uh, between 50 and retirement age who who return to work. Right. Um, which again, I mean, I think we've we discussed this very briefly before. It depends upon what work you'd be looking to return to, as to whether that is a massive incentive or otherwise, isn't it? I mean, if if you can return to a job that you were earning one hundred and fifty thousand pounds a year on, that'd be one significant benefit, wouldn't it? The, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, obviously, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, well, it would be huge, wouldn't it? If it was literally as simple as that, no tax. Yeah. Uh, and it would be very costly for the exchequer. Whereas at the other end, if you were going to earn, I don't know, £30,000 a year, mm. uh, then then actually the tax savings is nice, but not, not that much. Which makes you think, again, that the irony is there. It's that the lower end, that we've got the shortage of labour, isn't it? It's in so retail. So we're led to believe. Mm. Yeah. So there's not so much of a benefit for those people returning to work. Um, unless, of course, you're going to get managing directors who want to go out and pick hops in, in you know, 63-year-old managing directors who want to go out and pick hops in Kent in the blazing sun, um, then it might yes. work. But um, Productivity might be a challenge on, on that one. But, yeah. Uh, 
Yeah. Um, but but the the yeah, I, th- I think I think it's a good idea. I think let's start. At least people are thinking about it because it's obviously a problem which which um, no one would have forecast this happening. Mm. But it's operation. It's got a few challenges. Not least is if you are already working and you're doing the same job as somebody who rocks up on Monday who's getting their income tax-free and you're not, mm. and you're both over 50, you might be a bit miffed by that. You might be a little bit, might not you? Yeah, absolutely. And just to tail off that particular element of it, mm. the Office of National Statistics have um, commissioned a poll to try and find mm. out what the attitudes are for people of a certain age in terms of whether money would encourage them to return to work. Oh, so they are going to do some research. They have done well, it would appear so, yeah. Um, and that, that basically was the question, is um, would you consider returning to work for money? And those uh, 69% of those between the age of 50 and 54 said they would. 62% between 55 and 59 and uh, those between 60 and 65, it's 59%. So as you can imagine, it's only slightly, but as you can imagine, the older somebody becomes, the less likely they'd be to return to work. And I guess the other thing is right. that as that takes into account those people maybe who've been retired for, or retired out of the labour market for a period of time and have realised they quite like it and w- wouldn't be dragged back into the labour market for, for for less than quite a significant amount of money. But in headline terms, the, what that research is saying is two-thirds of those surveyed would consider mm. returning. When you say for money, does that just mean it, as opposed to voluntary work? It, yeah, it doesn't. It, yes, I, I think it, returning back into the paid labour market. Um, okay, okay. So I guess if you added to that, and in your first year you'd get it tax-free, that number would be higher. Because mm. mm. then you get this sort of margin, those on the margins who think, oh, crikey, it's not worth it. But oh, well, actually, well, I th- yeah. I think what they're saying mm. is return to work for money. I think they're, I think I, I didn't get the full question, but the, I think it's okay. money in addition to that which they've been earning when they retired. Otherwise, they've been okay. gone in the first place. Okay. They? So I think that's... Yeah. Um, that that's the so it's an interesting uh, interesting idea is, yeah and, and we'll see how that runs out so the other the other demographic they're looking at is the the long-term sick um mm. uh those claiming long-term benefits so people who've been assessed and considered not to be not going to return to the labor market so up to now it's been suggested that they they're not concentrated on in terms of trying to find the work they're just left to do their own thing effectively um having garnered a sufficient number of points because it's a credit scoring exercise via the dwp's work capability assessment um and i think they're what they're worried about here and i can read you some statistics here really about where, where we are with that in the early 90s, those those people numbered 600,000. Okay. Before the pandemic, they were 2 million. Oh, and, wow. And, and, and now they're up to 2.5 million. So an extra um, half a million people have been added to that particular statistic during the pandemic. Um, and, and that obviously is having 
an effect and was quite interesting in in this particular I don't want to overload you with statistics but in this particular instance the largest problem is the 25 to 34 year old which have gone from that's gone from uh, half a million to a million um, oh people now so so yeah so it's it's so these are people this two and a half million is people of working age who mm-hmm. are on some sort of sickness disability benefit yeah they're on long-term sickness benefit long-term yeah. sickness benefit. yeah yeah so I they did, i didn't realize it. i mean that's huge mm. my goodness um and and what they're looking at i mean they've, they've tried obviously you know i worked in that industry they tried over the years all sorts of different um ways of cutting this and and incentivizing people and uh, uh, reassessing them and changing their yeah. methods of assessment and yeah. what have you the idea now now stride the new um the new minister wants to rewire the benefit system uh, and he is looking at scrapping the work capability assessment which they they see as um looking to highlight what we used to call barriers to work yeah so effectively it looks at why you can't work rather than rather than what you can do uh, and looking at what claimants are claimants i mean that in itself is a is a but what those people assessed what what they are capable of what they would be able to do in the labor market so that you know that, that that's a um that's the in, the incentive here is they're going in theory to be allowed to carry their benefits through into work so they wouldn't necessarily lose as much of their benefit as they do at the moment the argument at the moment is that when you switch over there's like a, a cut-off point you taper yeah, to a certain extent yeah. exactly yeah and then then you lose your and also um they would be able to something that the the Labour Party are talking about that they'd be able to come back into uh, they'd be able to claim benefits if if working didn't work out for them for want of a yeah I heard that that was Ashworth wasn't one. it yeah because Starmer said this morning didn't he that he's tasked Jonathan Ashworth with having a look at this Labour challenge yeah yeah well, they've two got, and a half million I just yeah. I just staggered by the number I didn't realise. To and a half million it's people. huge yeah it's huge and that takes into account all sorts of different conditions as you yeah, can imagine people yeah. who are who are um have uh, long-term chronic illnesses yes you know, uh, heart disease and and those who are uh, you know addiction people who are on uh, on drugs and um so i i i'm not sure again whether whether necessarily um how they're going to work this because at the moment they're trying to do it by way of what they would consider to be carrot which i think is probably good but then it's all very well having the aspiration to help these people back into work and 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 give them the carrot of being able to take their benefits with them but where are you going to find them the work You, you know from your um from your working career that if 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 somebody has been um off you know long term sick mm. and and have has a record where they're not necessarily mm. reliable um and uh, they 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 want a job i think it's less likely that they're going to be able to get themselves back into the yep. labor market yeah it's difficult isn't it and I, I think the i think we're at the stage though with that many people impacted and the the other group the mm. uh, seemingly early retired where 
that's such a waste of resource. Mm. Uh, you know, we're talking about having to have more immigration. Well, well, we could solve that, couldn't we? If we could encourage more people back into the workplace. So I think, I think it's a question of trying all these things mm. and seeing how they go. And it sounds a little bit glib, but, but, but all of these ideas seem worth a try. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because eventually you will f- come across the thing that, that, that's causing the problem. I, you have to wonder whether disability and sickness going from 600,000 to 2.5 million, there is something wrong there. In, in Is it too easy to get this benefit? Um, well, that, that, I mean, that's I, over. I, I don't know. Is it just because we're living longer, getting older, more frail? I don't, I don't know. Well, I thought about this last night, and I do wonder whether some of these issues are could be... Because there were there were a lot of people um, who are claiming these long term benefits now on the basis of mental health issues, right? And it's another one of these things where mental health issues have been highlighted, haven't they? And and and, yeah. and people yeah. recognise themselves as as being subject to these conditions, whereas previously maybe they wouldn't. And and so you you've uncovered an, uh, another category of uh, of of health issue that that can qualify for this, and I think there are mm-hmm. a lot. Of, I mean, one of the schemes they've had running for quite a while within um, within the DWP is called Access to Work. I don't know whether you've heard of that one. Have you heard no. of Access to Work, and that's where the it was in, the money allocated to it was increased a few years back, and that is effectively to help people who are, who have long term health issues to get back into work and make what they call reasonable adjustments. Oh, yeah, I've heard that expression. Both yeah, physical and... Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. It within the workplace. And maybe that's the way they ought to go, as well as the the encouragement to the individual. They ought to be putting more money in to help the employer to be able to meet the costs of mm. what might be perceived. It doesn't necessarily have to be, but what might be perceived as a as a... A liability by taking somebody on who's got a poor sickness record. Anyway, that all sounds um, quite uh, interesting, doesn't it? Both of those developments. I don't know what. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think I think it does. I, I, I just repeat what I said. Um, I, I actually support any any pilot, any attempt to do any of these things. Yeah. Um, because we need to do something. You can't have that many. Uh, economically inactive individuals uh, all I would say on, on those who are able to work people will make their own decisions and those over 50s who are able to work who might be considered early retired right now will make their own decisions if they're finding it different, difficult to make ends meet so well, you I, probably don't have to do too much I don't, uh, down, I don't on think, the tax route I don't think that's acceptable Guy I think you to get off your backside and get back to work Okay, no more time for idle chit-chat then, Sean. I shall have to see you next week. I'll see you next week. You take care. Bye now. Bye-bye. Bye.